Fruit Reflections, Deepening Our Christian Spirituality for Today. In this, the fifth week of the MOOC Lent course, Giving Up Your Life, Ian Mobsby explores the theme of grace, trust and spiritual surrender as the third step of a 12-step approach to transformation. So this week, we're looking at the whole issue of grace, trust and this word surrender um, as the third stage of transformation. So in previous weeks, as we've just looked at, we've looked at step one, which is about admitting our powerlessness and our need to get beyond our own egos, and the distorting effects of getting beyond consumption that impoverishes our humanity. So that was step one. Last week, we also looked at step two, which is the idea of trusting in a higher power and the kind of importance of our own self-will, you know, the will of ourselves to want to face change in hope of a loving God. So this evening, we are looking at the third step, which I think is harder, because Vanessa went away at the right week, centering on God asking the question, what have grace, trust, and this word surrender got to do with transformation? Now, surrender in particular sticks, I don't know about you, but it sticks in my throat. It's not a nice word. Surrender challenges the idea of giving away autonomy or power. It challenges our pride, our egos, <laughs> our anger. It challenges our sense of being victims. I think most of us feel victims in the kind of complexity of the world and our need for power. But if you look at all the major spiritual traditions, surrender is a vital element of the spiritual path, particularly in the Christian tradition. So what does surrender have to do with living life to the full being happy and about profound spirituality. To answer that vital question, I want to give you an illustration taken from one of my favourite books by Douglas Copeland, the important book called Life After God, which has been an incredibly important source for me in terms of my own spiritual life. In the book, the narrator called Scout leads us through experiences of contemporary life, engaging the reader in a journey through disillusion, desperation, depression, isolation, family breakdown, a boring job, and broken relationships. In the final and the longest story, called A Thousand Years After God, the narrator becomes aware of the need for inspiration. He explores the possible reasons for the complexity of his life in the context of his parents' decision to avoid bringing their kids up with any sense of inherited spiritual belief systems. He decides to take himself off antidepressants that helped him cope with anxiety by feeling nothing and heads off into a forest. Here, Scout experiences a religious awakening, a climax where he begins to understand himself in the context of God and he becomes aware of his need for God to sustain him. So just thinking again about what we've just looked at, about the third step, Scout knows he is broken and has finally accepted his powerlessness he has also faced the second step, trusting in the love of God as a higher power. And now as an act of his will, he is seeking out encounter with God as an act of surrender of the ego in hopeful expectation of God's grace. That God will meet him where he is as God seeks out him also. And so Scout travels to a forest at night, awaiting a new day in the story of his life. And I quote from the book. Here I now lie on my stomach, looking out at the dark, wet world, pulling the blanket tighter around me, smoking a cigarette 
and knowing that this is the end of some aspect of my life, but also the beginning. The beginning of some unknown secret that will reveal itself to me soon. All I need to do is be still and pray. I kneel down and sip water from the pool. I raise my head and look through the clearing of the trees. I see the sun shining in the sky, a spinning ball of fire. This same sun, the same burning orb of flame that shone over my youth, over swimming pools and Lego and craft dinners and shopping malls and suburbia and TV and books about Andy Warhol. I remove my blanket and fold it on the warm rocks beside the water. I then remove my shoes and socks and stick my feet into the water. And oh, it is so cold. And the water from the stream above me roars. Oh, does it roar. Like a voice that knows only one message, one truth, never ending. Like the clapping of hands and the cheers of citizens upon the coronation of the king. The crowds of the inauguration cheering for hope and for that one voice that will speak to them. Now here is my secret. I tell it it to you with an openness of heart that I doubt I shall ever achieve again. So I pray that you are in a quiet room as you hear these words. My secret is that I need God, that I am sick and can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me give because I am no longer seem capable to go on giving, to help me be kind as I no longer seem capable of kindness, to help me love as I seem beyond being able to love. I walk deeper and deeper into the rushing water. The water enters my belly button and it freezes my chest, my arms and my neck. It reaches my mouth, my nose, my ears, And the roar is loud, this roar, this clapping hands, these hands, the hands that heal, the hands that hold, the hands we desire because they are better than desire. I submerge myself in the pool completely. I grab my knees and I forget gravity, and I float within the pool, and yet, even here, I hear the roar of water, the roar of clapping hands. These hands, the hands that care, the hands that mould, the hands that touch the lips, the lips that speak the words, the words that tell us we can be whole. I love that stuff. It's an incredible story and very powerful. And so the story, I think, deeply illustrates this word surrender as the third step in spiritual transformation. That trust, surrender, and grace are related as we grow in our spiritual relationship to and with the divine. So step three invites us to surrender our wills to the care of the divine. So a few things about spiritual surrender of the will that it is is and is not. Firstly, about surrender. Spiritual surrender is not surrender of freedom, As human beings, we are free to do what we want. We do not surrender our freedom. Even in the Christian tradition, God would never accept this. A chief distinction between most of the religious uh, spiritual traditions, including Christianity, and cults, is that cults often require surrender of freedom. 
In the Christian spirit tradition, God does not want this. God leaves us free because freedom is the only appropriate context for love. So before we are ready to face a, a spiritual surrender, the I of the self-will runs our lives. After surrender, spiritual surrender, we have a sense of shifting from I to we, the sense of the divine and I mystically connected. We don't just exist for our own selfish ambition anymore. We are then more accurately human becomings rather than human beings, with a sense of life being about becoming more human, informed by a deep relationship with the divine. This is sometimes called the I-thou relationship, the kind of me-divine connection, the deep connection in each of our own beings, which goes very deep in who we are, where I and God mix. Secondly, spiritual surrender is not only about our will, our self-will. It is also about our whole lives. So this form of surrender is not a one-off It's not a kind of a once-forever surrender. We're talking about an ongoing sense of daily surrendering of the kind of that autonomy or the desire to just be I and ego outside of this sense of an I-thou relationship. This we, then, needs nurture. It doesn't come naturally. It requires, in most of spiritual traditions, spiritual disciplines to feed this sense of we, the mystical and the mysterious connection between us and the divine. So classically, through prayer, through meditation, through spiritual reading, in important thinking about what you've written down, the expression of generosity, the, you know, the decision and the will to express kindness and humility. So thirdly, spiritual surrender is about our holistic lifestyles. How we, will, how we live impacts our ability to sustain a healthy and integrated spirituality. So there is a deep connection then between this idea of transformation, the sense of us being the fullness of who we are, and this idea of surrender, even though surrender is a really countercultural word that does stick in our throats. Recovering alcoholics are told by AA that they must change playgrounds and playmates if they are to stay sober. Likewise, for the spiritual journey, We should not think that the spiritual life is simply a personal and private, unintegrated matter with no connection to our life choices. The question, how do we live, is key to this idea of surrender. It is connected to the idea of us going deeper and more committedly centred to ourselves. So questions like, what kind of job do we have? Why do we do this work? How do we spend our money? How much time do we spend with loved ones? How do we treat the poor? How do we treat other those, others that we live amongst? So spiritual surrender requires us to self-audit and reflect on our own life choices to enable this deep spiritual surrender to take root in the everyday affairs of life. And lastly, fourthly, to talk about this surrender, spiritual surrender is not about being perfect or never failing. I think this is a huge mistake. And when Tolstoy, one of my heroes, um, was absolutely obsessed with being perfected, perfection to the point where it destroyed his marriage and destroyed his kids to the point where it was unsustainable because he didn't understand the nature of grace and a sense that we are constantly unable to live this way and that we're constantly we will fail. So the movement from I to we creates a kind of inner civil war 
This is why the monastics who went into the desert talk about spiritual warfare of the inner life. People are not aware of this civil war. No, sorry, start again. People who are not aware of this civil war are either too, so totally focused on I to the point of narcissism that they cannot experience any will but their own, or as some people will talk about, that people have got to a kind of a spiritual maturity, which I hear can happen, not, not in my life, where you can get beyond this sense of this inner battle within you in terms of this self-surrender um, spiritual discipline. But this is where the love of God and grace come in. Surrendering our wills and our lives to God is an ongoing process and one we shall continue to fail at. But we should and do not lose heart because the divine knows we are and remain close. God, God remains close to us even when we fail and through all our struggles. God is a patient lover of us. So this third stage then, this hard thing of this word surrender, which requires us to face our thoughts that distort and all our maladaptive coping strategies, to surrender spiritually is about facing up to things, to seek transformation, to not turn to denial, escape into fantasy, to get angry or to hate self or hate others or turn to pride. I do think in this country we have a particular problem with the fixation of anger and pride. I think it goes deep in our psyche. So with this form of surrender, it is about saying, I am ultimately powerless to change, that we can trust in a higher power and hope in the love of God, and finally, that through the will to surrender spiritually, I can find God, encounter grace, and grow into the fullness of how I have the potential to be. So just to sum up then, to conclude, authentic spiritual surrender for this stage three of kind of a 12-step approach is not about giving up freedom. Surrender is about our will and our whole lives. It is about a shift from a me-orientated narcissism to a sense of an ongoing, deeper relationship with an I-thou mystical connection that takes you outside of your own thinking and feeling to something greater. And that spiritual surrender is not about being perfect. We will constantly fail and make mistakes. But through grace and the love of God, we can seek to grow and constantly recommit our wills to spiritual surrender and therefore grow into our human becoming. The beauty of this story is that God meets us as we move towards God. There's a sense of this being a dynamic relationship of two parties that come close. Surrender of the will moves from I to we. There is still an I, I just want to be really clear, I is still there. There's a sense of self but it's much deeper in this kind of dynamic relations of, of deep we-ness. Try saying that easily. <laughs> so, to finish tonight, there are three stations that highlight these three stages, and these are not easy. So I want to give us plenty of time to just reflect on this and the 12-step sobriety prayer that's out there. But let me just finish with this reflection. I think it's a beautiful reflection from John O'Donoghue. The mind of time is hard to read. We can never predict what it will bring. Nor even from all that is already gone can we say what forms it finally takes. For time gathers its moments secretly. Often we only know it's time to change when a force has built inside the heart that leaves us uneasy as we are. 
Perhaps the work we do has lost its soul. Or the love where we once belonged calls nothing alive in us anymore. We drift through this grey, increasing nowhere. Until we stand before a threshold we know, we have to cross to come alive once more. May we have the courage to take the step into the unknown that beckons us. Trust that a richer life awaits us there, that we will lose nothing but what has already died. Feel the deeper knowing in us sure of all that is about to be born beyond. The pale frames where we stayed confined, not realizing how such vacant endurance was bleaching out our soul's desire. Thank you for listening to this Moot Reflection. For more information on our events, resources and community, please go to www.moot.uk.net.